All right, good morning, church. Good to have you here this morning. Happy Mother's Day. And um, this morning, before I get into the message, um, we have uh, someone with us who is not a guest. Teresa and her family have been with us for a little while, and so I'll have you introduce your family. Um, but Teresa has served with her family with an organization that she's going to introduce us to this morning. And it's an organization that I was made familiar with through a, a friend that I'm in a men's group with, and, um, and I was really excited to hear that you guys have been involved in this. And so, Teresa... You take over for a little while, just call me back up here when you're done, and you share with us a little of your story and, um, uh, and what God has laid on your heart to share. Okay, thanks. Hello, my name is Teresa Tanky, and I'm new here at Chapel Hill, but I'm so happy to be a part of this community. When we came for the first time, me and my family knew this was where God wanted us to be. Happy Mother's Day. I feel so blessed on this day. I have two wonderful children. I have Ariana, who's eight, and Asher, who's seven. And I'm also blessed to have an amazing mother myself, who I love very much. I'm really lucky to have supporting me. I am a volunteer with Together for Good, and I'm excited to tell you about what Together for Good is and how you can get involved. I can't think of a better Mother's Day present than to get to share this with all of you. I'm really passionate about this ministry, and it has changed us. How many of you have kids? How many of you ever need a break from those kids? <laughs> All right, you, you can keep your hands down. It gets a little more serious here. How many of you have family and friends that can give you that break? What if you were faced with an emergency? Let's say you got in a car accident and you needed to stay in the hospital overnight. Would you have somebody to care for your children? And if you were in the hospital, would anyone visit you? Together for Good supports families who don't have these privileges. So many people around us have no support. At Together for Good, we create pathways for the church to come alongside vulnerable families in Christ-centered ministry. When parents face a crisis with no support system, they become vulnerable. When a parent becomes vulnerable, their children are at increased risk of trauma. Together, we work to ensure that vulnerable families and children do not walk alone. Jesus calls us to love others. In Matthew 5, he tells us, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Our family has had the privilege of caring for children of families facing hospitalization, homelessness, unemployment, addiction, and domestic abuse. Sometimes it was fun and easy. I'll be honest with you that sometimes it was not easy. Most were a mix of both. We truly had to learn how God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Some of these stories of these kids and moms are heartbreaking. It has changed our family in no small way. But sometimes, when we step out to help others, it's actually us who are changed. Hosting children is the heartbeat of our ministry at Together for Good. Right now, the need is huge. Throughout the metro area, there's one overnight crisis nursery. So let's say a single mother is in a car accident and has to stay overnight in the hospital. Take a guess how many beds the state has available in our metro area of over three million people. The answer is three. 
there's three. Three beds for our entire Twin Cities area is not ideal. But something really special has happened through this. This crisis nursery has been sending families to Together for Good. That means the state has been sending them directly to the church. This is just one of the avenues Together for Good gets their participants. Unfortunately, Together for Good doesn't have enough volunteers to say yes to all of the needs coming in. We need more people willing to step out and help families in crisis. Most of the calls are for short-term care, and our desire is to build long-term relationship and community with these families. Some of the needs involve longer-term care, and one example is incarceration. I have a really good friend named Emily, and she hosted a child for a mom who was incarcerated. Through this, she was able to minister to this family. When mom got out of prison, she started attending church. She's recently dedicated her children to Jesus, my friend is in community and relationship with this family. They're a new family to them. They still see them regularly and love them. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There are lots of reasons not to help. I know everyone is busy. But I want to challenge you that we had every reason logically not to serve. We have two young children. I work part-time on opposite schedules as my husband. We homeschool and we live in a two-bedroom apartment. But God's call was clear. Through this experience, I have learned that God will make it clear when he calls you to something. For me personally, when it's something really important, there's a pain in my heart, a pain that makes it difficult to do anything else before I answer that call. But there's other ways too. Sometimes it's situational. Sometimes things just fit together in a way where it's hard to say no. And sometimes everywhere you turn, it's like you're encountering the same thing over and over again. Spend time personally with Jesus through prayer and his word. God will give you clarity. And when he does lead you to something, he will equip you for it. Our family has hosted seven children, one for a weekend. Most were for a few weeks, but one was for a few months. We did this hosting so that mom could go to rehab for drug addiction. He came to us at 15 months old, and he was high energy, and he was tenacious. And I'm going to be really honest with you. He was really hard to love. He couldn't sleep more than two hours at a time. He also had a lot of emotional issues stemming from neglect. He frequently, multiple times a day, would pound his head on the ground when he was upset. I truly had to rely on God's strength in my weakness. It brought me to a new level of dependence on God. But through this, he provided, he provided abundantly. We got to see change. With the help of the right people, I was able to get him to sleep. He stopped pounding his head on the ground when he was upset. He changed physically and mentally right before our eyes, and I grew to love him so much. Then came time for our hosting to be over. 
I had to return this child that I love dearly to an unknown situation. I had to trust that God was in control and that he knew what was best for this boy. And I didn't, I couldn't. My faith was not big enough for that. My heart shattered. But God, he showed me that he was in control. I got to experiencing God's hand on him and guide him where he needed to be. And God, he rebuilt my broken heart. But this time, with him in the middle, with a true faith, a real faith that relies on him and trusts him no matter what. I know God's hand is on me and it's on my family. And I know God's hand is on this little boy that I love and these other children that I love. I pray for him and for the others almost every day. And I am confident that God has this little boy exactly where he wants him. As people hosting these children, we have gotten to show them what a family is supposed to be. Through my husband, they've gotten to see what a real father is like. We have gotten to be a shield protecting these kids from trauma. We cannot change their circumstances, but we can protect them in a time of need. We can support them, and we can show them what love is. I can also tell you that my family has changed. My children, they had to learn to think about others in a new way. It's opened up the door for conversations about empathy and the experience of having to really love others and put yourself in their shoes in a whole new way. They had to share everything, and they had to help. When you host, it's as a family, and the kids are also serving. They're serving Jesus, and it changes them. Our marriage was also tested, but it was strengthened in a big way by going through this experience together. Lots of people tell me that they couldn't watch a child because it would be hard to give them back. But what if, instead of just loving that child, you loved the mom also? Most of the time, families are made to be together. And with support, we can make that possible. I can't stand up here and tell you that your heart won't break. In fact, I can tell you just the opposite. These situations, they'll bring you to prayer in a new way. Your heart will ache for these moms and for these children. Your heart, it might break. Mine did. My heart shattered to a million pieces and my world and my faith was shaken. But God rebuilt my heart and I'm not the same person. I stand before you today a new creation and it is the most beautiful transformation I have experienced. I think as sometimes, as people who've been in the church a long time, we think that the newness, it's already happened. That it's for other people and not us. But that's a lie. God can make us new, he can make you new. He can change everything. He can fill you with his spirit renewed every single day. However, to make this happen, we need to first step out in obedience and above all, in faith. There are lots of ways to help. Hosting children is the core of the ministry, but is not the only way to help. I understand that not everybody can host children. Together for Good believes in the power of prayer. 
We send out weekly prayer requests and we would love for more people to join us in praying. I've recently gotten to talk to one of our social workers about how they've seen God move through these prayer requests. We also can help each other. We wanna support the families hosting these children. We have done challenging long-term hostings like the one I told you about, and we have been moved to tears by God's provision of his church coming alongside us. It deepened our faith in a big way. This could mean bringing a meal, purchasing diapers, donating some clothes, sometimes just listening and being there for a host family. We were made to serve in community. We were made to do this together. We were never made to serve alone. Together for Good volunteers also do baskets as gifts for the moms. Often these come with an invitation to church and we have seen God move through this. You can also support by giving. The largest fundraiser of the year is a gala held on November 11th and I would love it to be filled with Chapel Hill families. Another larger role that Together for Good offers is an advocate. This would be somebody willing to step into friendship and mentorship with a mom in crisis. This is for someone with the desire to spend time with quality time with a Together for Good participant. You do not have to have it all together and you do not need to know anything about trauma. You just need to be willing to learn and have the energy into building a long-term relationship. Together for Good has an amazing leader for the advocates who will be working alongside you through the process if this is something God is calling you to do. One of the children we hosted because his mother was in the hospital, she ended up needing to stay there for a few weeks. Only one person visited her while she was in the hospital, and that was her Together for Good advocate. These relationships can be life-changing and life-giving for our participants. There are so many people out there who don't, do not have a friend. We hosted children for another mother who unfortunately chose to stay in an abusive situation because she had no support system. Being abused was easier than being completely alone. There is an epidemic of loneliness affecting our community and our world. Being an advocate can be a step towards changing this. There are so many children and mothers and families that need help. They need you to make a difference. It will be hard and it will change you. It might even break your heart, but maybe your heart needs to be broken so it can be made new. These little children of God, they deserve our broken hearts. Are you willing to surrender your heart to Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort for those around you? God doesn't just ask for an hour on Sunday. He asks us to lay down our lives for him. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. I can promise you will not walk through this experience alone. You will feel God in an entirely new way. Together for Good is all about creating a support system for the vulnerable moms and families, but also for the volunteers helping. We can work together as a church family to support this ministry and support each other. 
We were never supposed to serve alone. We're supposed to serve together. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you today. Me and my husband and my children will be out in the lobby after service, and I'd love to talk to you. And if you'd love to hear more, I'd love to get together and talk to you more about my experience and answer any questions that you have. I've been so blessed to be a part of this ministry, and I would love to walk alongside you in your journey. Thank you so much. Thanks. Just hang on to it. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Teresa. Um, just a couple of things just to add to that. Um, first of all, we will pursue um, having the organization come again in the near future, and they're going to do a training. Um, and so there's more opportunity to get uh, deeper connected, get a deeper understanding of what's going on. Also, um, I don't know if you could hear this underlying tone in what she said, but please think community groups, because it's a tremendous opportunity to do this, not alone, but to do this together in community. All right, um, let's dive into the Bible together here. Uh, you're going to need a Bible, so get yours out. Open up your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible with you right now, you're going to need one to follow along. And just put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles, and they can give you one that you can follow along in. And uh, one more thing before uh, we jump in is just uh, to say thank you very much for the huge crew of helpers we had yesterday for Church Work Day. Um, man. <clears throat> That was an incredibly productive day. Mitch, thank you for bringing the big guns and getting the, the large equipment that we needed to process all of that so quickly and so efficiently. Uh, we got an awful lot of work done here. And um, there have, uh, yeah, I, I can't even, I won't go through the list because it goes on and on. Um, but a lot was done. This place looks a lot better. And I'm just extremely grateful for such a great day. All right, this morning I want to begin with a context passage. It's going to help us remember where we are in Israel's story, and it's going to set up some observations on today's psalm, all right? So turn first to Exodus chapter 23, Exodus 23. At the time this series of psalms was written, Israel would travel to Jerusalem three times a year. It was on those pilgrimages that the singing of the Songs of Ascent happened. That's what we've been studying here for a bunch of weeks. We're in our second last psalm in the Songs of Ascent. And here's why they did this, okay? Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 to 17. This is what God said to his people, to Israel. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as the Feast of Passover. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the Feast of Harvest, also known as the Festival of Weeks. The names of these things are crazy. There's a whole bunch of them. It's really confusing, but just stick with these ones. Of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering, also known as the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths, at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. This was the traveling to Jerusalem peace, to go near the temple where God's presence was. Three pilgrimages during which they sang 
the Songs of Ascents, the 15 psalms that we've been studying together. Today's psalm will reference some other instruction that was given in the book of Exodus, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But here we are on the final leg of our journey. We're almost there. There's only one more psalm to come. And they are most likely gathered in Jerusalem at this point. They've arrived and the Israelites celebrated the fact that they were gathered there together in Jerusalem. This psalm is all about being together. And so turn now to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Short psalm again. And that's okay because we got less time this morning. But there are some great statements in this psalm. Psalm 133, and this is what it says. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Weird. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Short, but oh so sweet. And you're going to see why. The psalmist, and it's David this time, makes a declaration that something is very good and then compares that something to two different images. And we're going to dig into those images together so that we understand how valuable the first statement in this psalm really is. Verse 1, behold how good and pleasant it is. This is a really positive statement. David sees value in what he's describing. And my prayer for us today is that we leave here seeing more value in what David sees than we ever have before. Because this applies directly to us, church. And it's something we do see value in, but it's something that's challenged by our culture every moment of every day. What is it that David describes as good and pleasant, good and pleasing? It's unitedness. Unitedness. This is the best word that I found to explain this more clearly. David is talking about how valuable it is when God's family is together And they share a common bond that sweetens the deal. Translations of this verse use terms that point out that people are together and that people are united. Both have meaning in this statement. Being together obviously fits the context of this psalm. The tribes of Israel traveled from far and wide to worship in the temple during those three festivals. At this point in the pilgrimages, they celebrated being together. They loved being together. And and I believe that God loves it when his people are together, when we gather. But they also gathered around a specific shared purpose. They gathered for God. They came to Jerusalem because God's presence was there in Jerusalem in the temple. God was their common bond, and David describes them as brothers, as family. Unitedness is very pleasing to God. The reality of us being a family, a kingdom, a community, this is God's design for us. And so he commanded his people back in Exodus 23 to gather, get together, 
three times a year. And in that gathering, God demonstrates what it is that unites them. He is what unites them. His connection with his family has value. His family's connection with each other has value. God is their common bond, and God's presence is their motivation for being together. How pleasing is this to God? Well, David gives us two similes. It's pleasing like, and verse 2 gives us a strange picture of oil running down a beard, Aaron's beard. And so we have an Aaron. Aaron Stoot, where are you? Where are you? Is he here? Stand up, Aaron. Okay. Now. Are you ready? We're going to demonstrate for a No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> It would really be fun for everyone except Aaron, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I'm sorry, you don't have an epic beard. This doesn't really cut it. It's kind of fake. But hey, and the oil's wrong, and I don't want to make that mistake because there's something really special about that oil, and so you're lucky you don't have to actually get up here and demonstrate. All right, go back to Exodus now, okay? Exodus chapter 30. Let's get some clarity around this weird image. Exodus 30, verses 22 to 33. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. And a shekel was about two-fifths of an ounce, so about 200 ounces. And of sweet-smelling cinnamon, Half as much, that is 250. And 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin, about four quarts of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. That's why you're off the hook, Aaron. And you shall... <laughs> See, I feel safe up here, like with all these witnesses. <laughs> he's a giant, and I'm terrified of him. <laughs> so if you don't see me afterwards, <laughs> it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Okay, so this oil was kind of a big deal. It was used for consecrating, for setting apart things and people that fulfill roles in the temple. 
And that included the priests. Aaron was the head of the priestly clan. So his sons are mentioned here as well. So the anointing began with him. And this was not a nice, neat finger dip with a dab on the forehead of oil. This expensive, very aromatic oil was poured on the priest's head. And so it ran down the head, onto the beard, and onto the collar of his robe. And by the way, there's a well-known story in which this oil was used that we need to be reminded of. In Matthew 26, we read the story of a woman who used this very expensive ointment and poured it on Jesus' head. And the disciples got upset over the waste of something so expensive that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But Jesus explained that she was fulfilling the other use for this oil, to anoint a body for burial. And after Jesus' burial, Mary and the other women brought this with them to the tomb where they discovered that Jesus had already risen, but he had been anointed already. The oil was about consecration. Consecration of Aaron meant to the people of Israel that they now had a representative who would be the connection between them and God. So they were excited about Aaron being anointed. They had, they had someone to speak to and hear from God on their behalf. God was with them and Aaron was their spokesman. And so even the smell of this oil was very pleasing to them because of what it symbolized, what it stood for. The oil represented God's presence. It was God's anointing. It was a sign of God's spirit. This was a very significant thing. The image of the anointing oil being poured on Aaron's head, running down his beard, and onto his robe was absolutely beautiful to them. It represented their connection to God as his chosen people. On that same level in terms of value was the beauty of God's family coming together and celebrating their common bond, celebrating God's love for them and his desire for closeness with them. And so they sang Psalm 133 and they sang with joy. And how incredible it is to now consider ourselves as a royal priesthood and recipients of God's spirit. How significant it is to see each other as God's anointed. This ought to play into the way that we view being together. It's valuable beyond description when God's people come together over our common bond in Christ and our identity as priests, saints, members of God's kingdom and family. Okay, on to the imagery from verse 3. This is what verse 3 says again. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. All right, God's people coming together to express our unitedness is as beautiful as the dew on Mount Hermon. And we need to understand this. 
And I think it's pretty cool. It, it revives my former self again. Um, Mount Hermon was the highest mountain in the region of Israel, measuring in at over 9,200 feet in elevation. And in spite of the fact that Mount Hermon is located in one of the driest regions in the world, the top of Mount Hermon receives an abundance of precipitation in the form of snow, rain, and fog or dew. There's even a ski resort on that mountain today. And this brings back to mind our series title, Unlikely. While the rest of the region suffers in dryness, Mount Hermon thrives. During the summer, practically no rain falls on the area around Jerusalem. And two of the three pilgrimages that happened for Israel took place during that dry season. But as they traveled in the dry heat, the top of the mountain flourished. Which brings me to my former life. Um, for a while, I worked with some technology like the one that's about to go up on the screen. There it is. All right. I worked with this uh, in some very, very dry parts of the world. This is something that had been developed, and we were playing with it, researching it. This is uh, a fog catcher. And the whole idea of this is in a very, very dry region, there are places like Mount Hermon, like Mount Zion, where at night the fog goes over the top of those hills, the top of those mountains. Now, there's no rain that's going to fall, but the fog still passes over. There's still moisture in the air. And so this net right here, this fabric, catches the moisture from the fog. The moisture runs down into a pipe at the bottom of the structure and is kept in a cistern so that you can use it to water things and grow things in a horrendously dry place. It's absolutely remarkable how this works. Now there are all kinds of different versions of this. So give me the second slide here. Um, this next picture is where it's come since I was working with this technology. This is an amazing little greenhouse structure, obviously in a very dry place. And what this does now is this netting, this fabric, catches the fog as it passes over. And it automatically then grabs that moisture and that moisture drops down into that planted area. And those plants have water where they would have absolutely none before. It's an incredible uh, bit of technology and it is making a massive difference for so many people in so many parts of the world that are just getting drier and drier and drier. Okay, so back to our passage, back to our psalm. God's people coming together is as refreshing as the dew on Mount Hermon. In the midst of a parched landscape, God's people flourish through his provision. He brings the dew. God provides all that his people need to flourish. And one of our greatest resources is, are you ready for this? Each other. Each other. You and I, being together as brothers and sisters in Christ, brings us refreshment like dew in the desert. We represent for each other the provision of God. He gave us each other. We are like water in the desert. God uses us to help each other grow like he uses water to provide for something in a very dry place. 
how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when family dwells in unity. How good and pleasant it is when we experience the unitedness God has in mind for his people. How not good and not pleasant it is when God's people divide and quarrel and judge and reject and you know how that list could go on. And David brings it all back to what unites us at the end of the psalm. He points out that the dew that refreshes Mount Hermon is passed along to other high points in the desert, like Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is located. And this statement is so powerful. The refreshing that is found in Mount Zion is referred to as a blessing from God, life forevermore. Where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem, Zion. And what did we receive through Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection? Life forevermore. How beautiful it is when God's family experience, experiences unitedness. It's as beautiful as the glory of what Jesus did for us. So I have one quick recommendation for you. Um, this is a classic. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. And if you want to explore further what this is all about, this book opens with Psalm 133, verse 1. And then he just goes from there, and this is a very worthwhile read for us and to, to discover how this applies to our lives. So please take this thought with you, Chapel Hill. Culture says my highest priority is me. Culture speaks to me, speaks to us in me language. God speaks to us in us language. This is a point of reckoning for us. Is unitedness among us good and pleasant to us? Do we give it the same value that David gave it? Do we give it the same value that Jesus gave it when he taught us to love each other? Do we give it the same value that Paul gave it when he wrote to the church describing what love between us looks like? Or do we take the low and easy road and value what the world values? My independence, my individualism. Church, unitedness is God's anointing. Unitedness is God's provision. It is God's refreshing. Unitedness is a beauty worth celebrating. It's God's design and desire for his family. In a world that is bent on dividing itself into billions of tiny kingdoms, God has gone to great lengths to establish one eternal, indestructible kingdom. That kingdom is characterized by unitedness. And that unitedness, that coming together around our common bond in Christ is unmatched in beauty. 
So Chapel Hill, let's acknowledge its value. How good and pleasant it is when God's family dwells in unity. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll close our time with a final song. Father, we come before you this morning um, just humbled once again by the things that you have shown us, the things you have said to us, the things you've taught us in your word. Thank you for images that, once we understand them, have such depth and meaning. Thank you for some very clear statements in the Bible about how important it is that we function as a family that we function as a kingdom, that we come together because we have a common bond and you are that common bond, that we come together as anointed, as priests, as holy people because of what Jesus did for us. We come together to celebrate life forevermore, which you gave to us through your son. This morning, we thank you for that. It means the world to us. And so as we carry on in a world that's giving us a very, very different message, just help us to hold on to this and let it sink deeply into our hearts so that we live daily, moment by moment, aware of and engaged in the unitedness that you have in mind for us. Keep developing that among us, Lord. We just, we just ask that you would do this work. Thank you for this church. Thank you that you have given us so many levels of this experience of unitedness right here and you've given us each other as an incredible resource and we agree with you Lord there is amazing beauty when your family dwells together in unity and we commit ourselves to that in Jesus name amen would you please stand with us and sing